This podcast is dedicated in loving memory and for the Eloi Nishmat of Fagi Bat Rivka and Aaron Kotler and Sarah Kotler. May their memories be a blessing for us. What is our essence? Why is it important for us to know what we're made of? What we really are? Can such knowledge help us live our lives in an authentic way and not just live our lives out on a superficial level? The truth is, if we don't know which aspects of ourselves are positive that support our path and help us fulfill our potential, or conversely, which parts of ourselves are holding us back and are self-destructive, we don't know where to place our focus. Even more important, we cannot recognize our true worth and fulfill our ultimate potential if we remain ignorant of what we really are. In order to answer this question, the first place to begin is in Rabbi Ashlag's essay that he wrote as an introduction to the Zohar. This is one of the deepest essays that Rabbi Ashlag, the master Kabbalist of the 20th century, wrote. It opens with this single question, what is our essence? To answer this question, Rabbi Ashlag takes an entire essay, an essay in which he discusses the paradoxical association of our human created nature with the divine nature of the soul within us. In this context, he looks at subjects that include the purpose of our lives, the different states of our soul, our freedom of choice, the origin of evil, and the power of unconditional giving. At first glance, it isn't at all obvious why Rabbi Ashlag wrote this particular essay as his introduction to the Zohar. When we learn the Zohar, the central work of Kabbalah, together with Rabbi Ashlag's commentary, its Perusha Sulam, we find ourselves immersed in topics such as the intentions of our forefathers and foremothers, the reasons for the mitzvot, the dynamics of light and vessel, these topics are described in the Perusha Sulam in a complex language of root and branch, Sfirot and Pautsufim, the language of Kabbalah, the language that was taught by the Holy Ari. As an introduction to the Zohar, we might therefore have expected Rabbi Ashlag to have concentrated on these elements. But to our surprise, he focuses on this one question, what is our essence? By doing so, Rabbi Ashlag is actually teaching us that the question, what is our essence, is the focus of the Zohar itself. Through the details of the inner wisdom of Kabbalah, the Zohar is teaching us what our own nature consists of. And it is in this context that it shows us our purpose in life, demonstrates the correct relationship between ourselves and God, and teaches us how to serve God. This is how Rabbi Ashlag opens his introduction to the Zohar. In this introduction, I would like to clarify some seemingly simple matters. These are issues with which everyone is to some extent involved, and much ink has been spilled in the effort to clarify them. Yet despite this, we have not arrived at a sufficiently clear understanding of them. The first question we would like to ask is, what is our essence?
First of all, we need to ask, what does Robert Ashlang mean by the word essence? To answer this question, we need to go to a different essay, his Marvola Zohar, the preface to the Zohar, and this is what he writes. We now need to study the four different ways we use to think about things. These are 1. Matter 2. Form that is clothed in matter 3. Abstract form and D. Essence Now, since these are all terms that we really don't know what they are, the first thing to do is to explain them. And this is what Rabbi Ashlag does. He writes, I shall first explain them in connection with things that appear to the senses in this world. For example, when we talk about a warrior or a sincere person or a liar, we have, first of all, his matter, which is his body. Then we have the form that is clothed in his matter, which could be his bravery, his truth or his falsehood. Thirdly, abstract form. That means that it is possible to abstract the idea of being brave or of being true or of being false from the matter of the man and understand these three abstract forms as they are in themselves, as virtues, not clothed in any matter or body. That is, we may conceive of the qualities of bravery or veracity or falsehood and be able to discern in them positive or negative values when they are abstracted from any matter. D. The essence of the person. From this, we can see that Rabbi Ashlag rules out the possibility that a person's essence is either the body, his matter, neither is it the personality, which would be the form or combinations of form that are clothed within the body, nor does a person's essence consist of abstract qualities. This has very important information for us. First of all, it tells us that we are not our body. Our body is the most obvious part of ourselves and we spend a lot of time looking after it. We look at ourselves in the mirror or in our smartphone. We look at our face and we relate to what we see as if this is what we are. We tend to get worried over the slightest thing that goes wrong with the body. Yet the Zohar and even our common sense tells us that this is not who we really are in the deepest level of our soul. Our body changes throughout our life and eventually will die. Although we might identify with our body on a superficial level, deep down we know it does not define us. Many people, if we ask them, do you feel as if you're eventually going to die, will actually answer no. In other words, they know that their physical body will die and they have that intellectual knowledge that they will one day die, but they don't have that as a feeling. And this is because their essential essence does not die. Our essential essence is eternal. And most people have some sense of that. So our essence is clearly not our body. I personally find it quite a relief to discover that we're not our personalities either. Many of us have, have experienced traumatic events, either as children or later on in our lives, that have had profound effects on us. They may have made us fearful or more closed, hesitant to deal with life. Other people struggle with attributes such as pride or selfishness. Some of us are more introvert 
and suffer with shyness. Others are more extrovert and have difficulty knowing who they are because all the time they are looking to see how they are appreciated by others or received by society. It's quite a relief to discover that these aspects of our personalities do not define our essence. Of course, our attributes are all aspects that we do need to deal with and it's part of our work in the world to refine our attributes, which are called Amidot. And there are classic works of Jewish ethics, particularly of the Musa movement, which help us with this. There are books such as Orchot Sadikim, The Pathways of the Righteous, or Misilat Yisharim by the Ramchal. And there are also works of Hasidut, such as Tanya, which look at Amidot and we can work on ourselves and our personalities. And as we do, we can refine and change problematic areas in our lives. And they can change, as we can see in classic stories such as The Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde or Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Our personalities are not etched out of stone and we all have the capacity to work on ourselves to enhance our potential and to let go of whatever is not serving our true purpose. Some philosophers and other religions consider that our essence consists of abstract qualities such as truth or virtue or joy, but these are not our essence either. So what is our essence? Rabbi Ashra continues, and you should know that as regards the fourth characteristic, which is the essence of the man as he is in himself without matter, we have no conception of whatsoever. Our five senses and our imagination can only show us the actions of our essence, but cannot reveal to us anything of the essence as it is in itself. Our own essence, or what it consists of, is completely unknown to us. I feel and know that I take up a place in the world. I am solid, I am hot, and I think. And these are some manifestations of the actions of my essence. But if you were to ask me, what is my essence, myself, from which all these manifestations come, I would not know what to answer you. Behold, the divine providence has withheld from us the ability of conceiving of any essence. We are able to grasp only overt manifestations or actions which come forth from essences. So when Rabbi Ashlag asks, what is our essence? He means, what is that aspect of ourselves that is completely unknown to ourselves, that we cannot sense directly, imagine, yet has actions? Before we look at this further, we need to ask, is something that we cannot sense actually real. In another article that's entitled The Wisdom of Kabbalah, Rabbi Ashlag writes as follows. It is a great mistake to think that the language of Kabbalah discusses abstract entities. On the contrary, it only discusses what is real. There are matters in the world that are real, but on which we have no grasp. For example, a magnet or an electron and other similar matters. Nevertheless, who would be the idiot to think that these nouns have no meaning or that they have abstract meaning alone? After all, we can see their actions quite clearly with our eyes and with our other senses. 
What do we care that we don't actually know their essence? Ultimately, we realise that such an object must be the vehicle that carries out the functions we attribute to it. So, even though we do not know the essence of something, nevertheless, the name we call it refers to something actual. Even a baby who's beginning to talk can call such an aspect by its name if he can feel its actions to some degree. When we go into the question of essences more deeply, we see that even regarding objects that seem to us to have real substance like a tree or a stone, we find that we have no attainment at all of their essence, but only of their actions according to how these interact with our senses. For example, when the Kabbalah teaches that our essence brings forth three powers, the body, the animal soul and the holy soul, it's not talking about the essence of the soul as it is, but it's talking about three different types of actions that our essence brings forth. So our essence is real and is eternal, although we cannot know it directly. Just as we do not know our own essence, so we have no knowledge of any essence and not of God's essence. Yet the sages of the Zohar teach the Torah, the Holy Blessed One and the soul are one. In other words, these all share the same essence. As we say every morning in the prayers, O oh my God, the soul you've placed within me is pure. You created it, you formed it and you breathed it into me. You guard it while it is within me. Someday it will return to you and you will restore it to me at a time beyond time. As long as my soul is within me, I will thank you, O Lord, my God and God of my fathers, source of all creation, sovereign of all souls. Blessed are you, O Lord, who restores the soul to the body. We do not know our essence directly, but we can know its action. And our action is described through our will. In general, our will manifests through two main types of desire. The first type is that we have the will to receive pleasure and joy. This is implanted in all of us by the Creator as a consequence of his thought of creation, which is to give pleasure to all created beings. So therefore, we all wish to receive pleasure and joy. Our second aspect of desire that we all have is the will to give to the Creator and to our fellows. In fact, we wish to give to each other pleasure and joy. In the language of the sages, these are called the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah Tov, the evil inclination and the good inclination. In the language of the Zohar, they are called the godly soul and the animal soul. Our godly soul is represented by our will to give joy to others because its use brings us into affinity of form with the Creator. Just as the Creator is giving to us, so we're giving to God or to our fellow. The animal soul represents our will to receive pleasure and joy for ourselves alone, a selfish will that is opposite to that of the Creator's desire and causes us to separate from him. Our godly soul, the animal soul and our body all come forth from our essence and are its actions. Which one predominates depends on our will. Our physical body, as we said earlier, is not our essence. 
Its functioning depends on what our desire is. If our desire is one of holiness, which is coming from our godly soul, then our physical body will respond to fulfill that desire, enabling us to carry out the mitzvot of the Torah and functioning in the world by manifesting desires of giving good to God and to each other. However, if our desire is that of receiving for ourselves alone, then our physical body will function to enable us to receive the physical or emotional pleasures we're looking for. As Rabbi Chaim Vital wrote in his work, Sharei Kedusha, the body is but a vessel for the soul, or, in the language of Kabbalah, a garment for it. In general, our will to receive is far more obvious to us than is our will to give. And we find that our lives are mostly conducted under its governance. Because our created nature wants us to have pleasure from morning till night. This will to receive pleasure is a common factor for all created beings. And we differ from each other, not in the fact that we all desire to receive pleasure, but in which aspect we wish to receive it. Different people get pleasure from different things. But the fact that we all want to receive pleasure is common for everybody. Our will to give also gives pleasure in a different way. But it's much less obvious. It's deep within us. We all have a desire to love, to give, to donate, because we also get joy when we have the opportunity to give pleasure to somebody else. But this will is much more hidden to us. And this is the reason why we really do need to discover what our essence is, how it functions and what its actions are. Because then we can choose in a conscious way which part of ourselves we wish to give more prominence to, not just our more obvious part, but also our more hidden parts. And then we can decide on what terms we wish to live our lives. We should certainly ask the question, why did God make our will to give so much more hidden and our will to receive so much more manifest? But the truth is, so that we should look for it. God hides himself from us so that we should look for him. In the same way, he hides the portion of God that is within us so that we should look for it. We can't receive anything with gratitude and pleasure if we don't have any need for it. By hiding this godly part of ourselves from us and teaching us how we have to search for it, it creates within us a need and a desire to discover our own goodness. We have to work hard to reveal it, but like everything else we've had to work for, when we do discover our own goodness, it means so much more to us and is so much more precious to us. When we really want to uncover our true godly essence, to discover how good we really are, then God gives us his light. And in this way, the desire of the creator to give us his goodness is fulfilled. When we know who we are, what we are, we know we come from God. We have more choice over which aspects of ourselves are positive and are helping us in our lives and which aspects are self-destructive and holding us back. We have more awareness and understanding of God's wisdom in the Torah and we can understand the reason for the mitzvot and we have motivation and enthusiasm in fulfilling them. Knowing who we are gives us clarity that the most important part of ourselves is eternal. It is a part of ourselves that is God within us. And the more we pay attention to its presence, to its action and its desires, and rejoice in it, the more real it will become to us. 
The inspiration for this podcast came from the students who are learning with me A Tapestry for the Soul, the introduction to the Zohar by Rabbi Ashlag. If you would like to join the group learning, please contact me, Yadita Cohen, through the website on www.nahoapress.com.